Praise the Lord. In Acts chapter uh, 13, verse 22, Luke is talking about a man that, that is, had a great testimony, but uh, an incredible life, good and bad. Did a lot of crazy things, murdered, fornicated, was an adulterer. And at one time, they, 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 they said that this man was mad, was a madman because he was murdering people, fighting as a missionary um, in, in war. But after his life went through and God began to deal with him, despite his history, God said this about this man. In Acts chapter 13, verse 22, it reads, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. <laughs> what, an, what an amazing thing. So he will do everything. Everything, everything is a lot, that's a lot of stuff. And when you look at scripture, the book of James talks about how we should be. And, and, and you know, he tells us, look, if you're going to be a Christian, and, and James is addressing Christians, he said, you've got to be uh, slow to speak. Don't talk so. Don't be quick to speak. You know, listen. Be a listener. Don't become angry. And even begin to discuss in, in James chapter 1, because your anger does not bring about any kind of righteous life. In fact, he says, become slow to angry. Completely opposite than what we want to do. You know, we want to get angry. Get mad at each, each other. Right? He said, tells us to get rid of all moral filth. Does anybody know what moral filth is? Another word for moral filth is watching too much TV. Hello, somebody. There's a lot of garbage on there. Um, and he talks about we, we have to be careful and, and don't, don't, don't just receive what the world is trying to give to you. Huh? Because that stuff can't save you. It can't help you. Oh, it, it, it's fun at times. It might feel right. But in the end, nothing that the world has to offer is going to help you. I don't care where it is. Could be a career, could be education, doesn't matter. If it's not centered around God, it, it'll just be vanity. And da David, he 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 did the entire thing. I mean, he did it all. The king, no holes barred. Could you imagine if you were king, what you would do? That's probably why God didn't make me king. Because oh man, half of you be dead. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Off with their head, amen. <laughs> But see, to show us our heart, God will take us through a series of, of trials, if you will. He'll take, you, you, you're going to go through things. And not because he likes message, you no, no. But he has to grow you. He has to mature you. It, it's like, I, I call it like show and tell. Anybody ever been in, in elementary school, they have that thing called show and tell? You know, you bring something from home and, and you get to show it to your client. You tell about it. Well, when you, when you do that, it really, it gives a picture for the teacher of what type of family you're from, maybe a culture, you know, it, it, so show and tell is, although it's, a, it's an exercise for the kid to show and tell, really a smart teacher is looking at what they're showing and telling to try to see how can I communicate with this person, because they, they want to know about them, so show and tell will, will, will expose who you are, right, doesn't matter if a kindergarten teacher had a class and they did a show and tell, 
And they were all bringing their assignment. And he said, bring something to represent your church. You know, what you believe, your religion, right? So the first boy got in front of the class and said, my name is Benjamin and I am a, I'm a Jew, I'm Jewish, and this is the Star of David. And he showed him the Star of David. And, oh, now the kids are pretty cool. Wow, look at you, Jew, and you got the Star of David. And the second boy came, came, got in front of the class and said, my name is Mary and I'm a Catholic and this is a crucifix. Then Mary pulled out the crucifix and they go, wow, Mary, you have a crucifix. That's nice. Well, and this one little boy got in front of the class and said, my name is Juan. I go to Victor Outreach and this is an enchilada casserole. Because <laughs> you know how big you're out, we like to eat, amen. <laughs> but it kind of shows your culture, who you are, right? Where you come from, right? And, and so it's a show and tell. Well, see, God wants to take you through show and tell. He wants to show you who you are. Hmm? He wants to, to, to not, not to front you off, but to help you grow. So in the course of your lifetime, eventually you're going to have to pass some tests, if you will, right? And so you got to, you understand, every time you come to a trial or a situation where, and, and don't do this, oh, I don't want to face it and run from it. Because if you run from what God is taking you through, you'll get into the, what I call the remedial cycle. Or you may avoid it initially, I just want to deal with it, and then you're going to split. But listen, life is a series of, of merry-go-rounds. Whatever God wanted to bring you through, you may avoid it, but to eventually fulfill what God has called you to do, you're going to have to face it. So it's better to face it early and quick than to put it off. It's like if you had a toothache. When your tooth starts hurting, fix it. Otherwise, it will get abscessed. And if anybody ever ever had an abscessed tooth, it is not a fun thing. And that's what happens. You want to put it off. Don't put it off. You need to fix it. So God's going to take you through a test because the sin, well, let me say it like this. Your first test always happens with this. You're going to get tempted. Anybody ever been tempted? Don't raise your hand. Because you're going to face a test in your life. I call it the sin test. Are you going to sin or are you not? To sin or not to sin? That is the question. See, 1 Samuel 9, 17, it says there, When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, There he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Saul. Saul was the king before David. And when, he, when you first got, he goes, There he is. This one is going to be the king. And he had a call. And what I'm saying, this man, this person had a call on his life. And verse 21, it reads like this. Excuse me, Samuel. And Saul answered and said, I'm not a Benjamite. I'm on the smallest tribe of Israel, and my family, the least of all families of the tribe of Benjamin. Why then do you speak like this to me? So what it shows here is God is calling this man by the name of Saul, and he's saying, you're going to be king. And he's saying, I can't do it. In other words, he had like a humble spirit, the right type of spirit. He was very humble, right? So God called him, puts him, and he made him king. See, but when you get a calling, and this is what people don't understand, God's got a calling in your life, and he wants to do something in your life. But listen, there also is something called the devil. And he doesn't want you to fulfill your call. So the, the, the test of your faith is right around the corner. Right when you get saved or, or when you say, I'm going to get involved in ministry, all of a sudden things begin to happen. Hello? See, King Saul failed his test miserably. Saul wanted to serve God, 
But it came to a point he wanted to serve God under his conditions. A man who started out humble, who was grateful that God chose him, all of a sudden said, wait a minute. I I don't want to do it that way. I want to do it this way. Right? He was king. And sometimes we don't understand what that means. It's kind of like you being king of your life. How many of you feel you're in charge of your life? Well, nobody raised their hand. Uh. Well, see, most people, whether they care to admit it or not, feel that I am the king of my castle. Right? I'm in charge of my life. And you could have you could believe that for yourself. But you're going to serve somebody. But let me get back over here. So what has to happen is, although you may think you're king, there's only room in your life for one king. So if you're in charge, then there's no way that God can be in charge. And that's the rub. Because we want to be in charge, correct? We do. Come on, we want to be in charge. You can't tell me you're not the boss of me. But God says, I am the boss of you. And until you understand that he may give you room to operate in your life as king, you have to always recognize that he is king. Well, initially, that's too new, too, too maybe weird of a concept, or you don't want really to, it doesn't hit you at first. But eventually, you're going to come to a point is who's king? Who's in charge? See, king, this king had no accountability. And that's where a lot of people don't like like preaching like this, because everybody wants to love the Lord. Everybody wants to serve God, but they don't want anyone to tell them what to do. Especially in America. Other cultures are more acceptable. You go to other, other places and you have like a, 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 a situation like this. They're more receptive to leadership accountability because their culture is, is conducive. Their culture works with that. So when you go to foreign countries, they understand that there's leadership involved in, in, in serving God. They understand because it's part of them. But in America, it's me, myself, and I. In other words, pastor, you should be glad I come to church. Because I can go to any church I want. And you can. And if you feel like that, we wish you do. <laughs> because we want to take the world. And it takes people who understand that we're on a mission. And to do a global event like that takes teamwork. And if you have teamwork, then if you've been any kind of athlete, there's team captains. There's order. There's structure. Because that's how you get things done. Well, King Saul didn't want that. Why should I report to anyone? He's the king. I'm a grown-up. See, one who started out so humble, later on because of that, became an enemy of God. Think about that. Verse 16, 1 Samuel 28 reads like this. Then Samuel said, why then do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? How did that happen? Because Saul came to a point where he didn't do what the prophet had told him to do. He says, I'm king. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship God now because the prophet's not here and we're going to battle. He had all the justification as why he was going to serve God. And he did it his way. When the prophet showed up, he said, what are you doing? He said, well, you know, you weren't here. You weren't here, so the people were getting mad. So I decided to take things in my own hand. You know, I'm king. I'm in charge of my life. Then he tells him, you become the enemy of God. Huh? Verse 17, and the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord, check this out, has torn the kingdom out of your hand 
and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. What am I saying? So you're going to come to a point where God's going to ask you to do something. And the unfortunate thing, this is very important, it is, because it was hard for me. God's going to ask you to do something. And the unfortunate thing he's going to use, if you're in this church, and you're growing up in this church, either me or one of my leaders to tell you that. That's, that, you know why it's unfortunate? Because it's very difficult for people who are king of their castle to allow somebody else to come and tell me what to do about God. What do you mean? Don't you know who I am? I, am, this is, I, I, I'm, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't tell me nothing. That, that's the religious thing they say. They always say that. Right? And you do have a personal relationship, but the order and structure of world reaching the world is done organizationally, not individually. So here's the problem. See, I have to follow orders from my Pastor Sonny. What if I had that attitude? Pastor Sonny says, well, we're going to united, we can. We want to reach the world. Okay, Pastor, no, Pastor Sonny, sorry, sorry. Mm -mm, sorry. I am the king of Colorado. Oh, why can't I do that? Most people do that to me here in Colorado. They say, well, you can't tell me, Pastor Al. I'm the king of my life. And you're right. Go ahead, king. See, you're going to come to a point where you're going to have to make decisions. I can't force it on you. Pastor Sonny didn't put a gun in my head. You're going to follow me? No. I said, you know, Pastor Sonny, I know you're a man of God. I'm going to follow you. I'm with you. I got your back. Hmm? That's, that's the difficult part uh, and the first major test that anybody comes to, especially to come to Victor Arts, because we have a vision. We have a mission. We need, we need people that are fallen order, as if you will, uh, like a military organization or even like any kind of secular organization who has leaders, uh, supervisors, superintendents. They need to come together so that we can do what God has called us to do. Amen. We need a lot of individuals who have a great relationship with God. Huh? but have also had that same relationship with their fellow man. Well, you'll, you'll come to that test. Huh? See, King David failed his test, and that's one type of test. Leadership, fallen orders. Another test, King David had his own test. His was a little different. He fell into adultery. What am I saying? You're all going to have some type of test, some type of sentence that's going to try to take you out. David, he murdered, he lied over a woman named Bathsheba. She must have been real fine because he, almost threw, he threw the, almost threw it all away for Bathsheba. Hmm? The Psalms tell the story of his failure and the anguish that resulted. See, you will have a sin test. In fact, some of you may be having it right now. Some of you, it's waiting when you get out the door. Some of you, it happened this morning, and you crawled into church. Nonetheless, wherever it is, whenever it takes place, you're all going to have to face it. I, you know, I told one brother, I wish I could follow you around and help you along with your test, but I can't, dude. You're on your own. You got to make your own decision. You got to make your own choice. You got to man up. Well. Every, you're all going to face it one day or another, one way. Huh? See, that, that will be a major turning point in your walk with Jesus. You'll, you will be left alone to decide if you want to sin or not. You'll be left alone to choose if you want to obey or disobey. You will be left alone to decide your fate. It's on you. And let me tell you, whatever you decide, that decision will determine the course of your walk for years.
years. Huh? King Saul was removed from his office. The leadership was eliminated. King David's family life, because he failed his sin test, was decimated by his failure. Brother killing brother, another brother raping a sister. I mean, his life, his family was a mess because of his choice. Oh, God will forgive you. He will. He'll forgive you. But the results that you created are going to roll on. And you have to have the grace to say, you know what? I got to stick it out. Why? Because really, you should take responsibility for it. We're talking about Ahab in the morning. Ahab, who was married to Jezebel, right? That guy was a chavala. He was crying and sniveling. And Ahab got his wife to do his dirty work. And God judged him. He said, you know, he told Ahab, Ahab, the dog's going to eat you. You're going to die, and the dog will eat you. Not only will they eat you. Check this out. This guy, God is no play. He will, they will eat you, and he will eat your children, your sons and your daughters. He just, and the, the prophet just cursed him because of what you did and how you used Jezebel to take this man's property to have him killed, right? So Ahab was kind of weird, but he was kind of smart in, in a way, too. He began to repent. He put on sackcloth and said, God, I'm sorry. And he repented. He repented. And God said, man, the prophet said, you see how Ahab repented? God said, yes, so I won't kill him, but his children will suffer. That's a trip. I go, man, God, you're a cold-blooded dude. I was reading that. I go, whoa, that's heavy. And people say, oh, that's not going to happen now no more. Why not? Let's, say, let's assume it won't. Great. But what if it did? See, I'm not that smart to know everything, but I do know that it's in the Bible, and I said, that's a trip right there. And if, my, if I'm correct, the Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, I ain't going to chance it. In other words, what I'm going to say, don't play around with God. Can I say it again? Don't play around with God. Right? Some of you will come to a point where your service, you know, to God will be questioned. Because you can't be a Christian and simply come to church. You could come to a Christian church and be a great person. But you can't be a Christian and simply come to church. There has to be some type of activity from your life that proves that what type of tree you are. You know, from an apple tree, you'll get apples. From, a, from an orange tree, you'll get orange, right? So if you're, if you're actually coming to church and you're saying you're a Christian, then there has to be some activity, some fruit, if you will, that distinguishes you from just somebody in the world. So if you come to church all your life and you're no different than your neighbor, then what have you been doing? So there has to be some kind of distinguished, uh, some trait, something different about you that proves that you're a Christian. So your service will come into question. You'll be tested. Huh? See, after removing Saul, but let's go back to Acts 13, 22. He, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesus, Jesse, a man after my own heart. Check about it. He said, he, this guy, King David, is a man after my own heart. But notice what he, how he described him. He didn't get into detail of how, how much he prayed. He didn't say, oh, this guy tied. He didn't say anything about preaching or teaching. He said, he will do everything I want him to do. Can God say this statement about you? This man, put your name, this is a Christian. He is called, why? Because he, she, you will do everything that God called you to do. Will you? See, you're going to, everybody will face this test. Because 
what I'm saying is you're going to either say, God, I haven't been doing what, I, what you called me to do, and I'm going to do it now. Or you're saying right now, God, this guy's messing with me. I don't like this guy. <laughs> He's making me feel agitated. I'm, I'm agitado. That's agitated, right? I don't feel good. I don't feel comfortable. I came here to church to, to make me feel good. My, my, you liar. You said this church was good. I, I don't feel good right now. <laughs> I ain't trying to do it on fire. I ain't trying to raid on your parade. I'm trying to help you out. Why? Because we're talking about an issue of the heart. Amen. I want you to make it. I don't want you to just come to church and act religious. I want you to come to church and be different. Be better. Be the best. Be the greatest. Be the head. Not the tail. Right? See, David failed the sin test. He repented, yet for some reason God calls him a man after his own heart. Why? Because even though he made mistakes, when it came time for God to say, David, I need you to do this, he said, okay, God, I repent, and I'll do it. Hmm? Look at his heart. Just take a look at his heart. In First Chronicles, for the sake of time, there's a man who wanted to give him a field. He, Dave, you can have this field. And David said, no, I'm not going to take that from you. I'm going to pay you for it. See, us, if somebody wanted to give you something, you're like, thank you, bro. He says, no. Why? Because he was, what this man was going to give him, he was going to turn over to God as an offering. And he says, I'm not going to take from you and offer something to God that costs me nothing. Hmm? What I offer to God is going to cost me something. If, I, if I'm going to offer my life to God, then there has to be a price to be paid. That's what he was saying. 2 Samuel 24, 24 reads like this. And the king said to Aaron, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. I, will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which cost me nothing? See, it, it began to show his heart. He says, you know, he probably said, you know, thank you, Ornan. His name was Ornan. Thank you for offering me this property. But you know, and, and I know you have a good heart, but no, even though you'll give it to me because I'm king, I'm going to pay you because this property, everything here is going to be offered to God, and I'm going to pay for it. See, we're in this, this society, this mentality, we're always trying to get a sale, getting the cheap way in. Listen, my friend, there is no cheap way in to Christ. There is no cheap way in to heaven. There is no cheap way in to discipleship. There is no easy route, my friend. If you're looking for the easy route, then there ain't none because the Bible says that we are on the rocky road. We're on the Calvary road. And the Calvary road is not an easy road. It's going to pay. It's going to cost. It's going to pay a price. What kind of price? Your, your friends may talk about you. Your mom might talk about you. You might even get fired from a job because you love the Lord. But you're going to say, it's okay. It's all right. Will I offer my life that costs me nothing? It should cost me something. I've been fired from a job for, for my faith. At the time, I was kind of bum kicked. But later on, I began to understand, hey, you know what? That's pretty cool. I'm like Jesus now. <laughs> right? That's right. So how's your serve? The service that costs you nothing is not service. It's religion. And that's why people want to go to a church where they can go in. And walk out. <laughs> Next Sunday, go to church. <laughs> and walk out. And they never do anything for God. They never do anything for God. 
That's not, that's not, that's not Christianity. That's religion. See, if, you, if your life is not a life of service, you're wasting time. Might as well go get high. Go have a blunt. Go smoke one on me. Say, Pastor, I get high. Yeah, I did. If you're not going to serve God, you want to play a game, go get high. When you're done getting high, you get locked up in jail, call me. I'll come visit you. No, I won't. I'll send Jose. <laughs> I was lying, right? If you go to jail, I won't visit you. For real, I won't. I'll send one of these guys. I ain't going to visit you. <laughs> Amen. I won't even go for court. I'm saying Corey, not a court, right? You're going to court for now. Not me. I ain't going to court. You're lucky you got Corey. Otherwise, nobody go to court for you. Amen. <laughs> no. Serving that costs you nothing is not service. It's religion. See, the price you pay determines whether you are serving. Archbishop Secker, he used to say this. God has three sorts of servants in, servants in the world. Some are slaves and serve from fear. Others are hirelings and serve for money. The last are sons and daughters who serve because they love. So you're going to serve. You're going to want to do these things. And then you, the next thing you're going to go through, you're going to go through changes. Some of you are going through changes now. You'll go through change. You will. Being a Christian is a trip. Because you go through changes. And I didn't know when you say, oh, God, change me, that he, he meant, he heard, and he said, okay. <laughs> I thought you could just say it because you felt like saying it. But when you, when you start changing, you know, because when you go through changes, it means you got to go through changes. How many like going through changes? You know, we all say, man, I don't want to go. Why? Because that, that person puts me through changes, right? I used to say, I don't want to go over there. But when you come to God, you say, change me, God. He goes, okay, he obliges you. He changes you. Then you're like, why, why are you doing this to me, God? <laughs> and then it, it creates stress. Right? See, Elijah, he was a prophet of God. This man ran under stress. Ministry, when you get involved, when you, I'm talking about you got to watch out for sin, then you want to serve, it's going to cause stress. Right? You guys been serving any, a day? Right? You guys, any stress involved in, in serving the Lord? Right? I'm talking about getting in leadership and getting involved. So see, I'm the kind of pastor, I'm not going to try to trick you because you're all going to get involved because God's got to call you life. It's not my fault. But I'm going to hip you. <laughs> I'm going to hip him and tell you, you know, when you get the stress, hang in. We've all been through it. We've all had a struggle. We've all bumped our head. Might have fell a few times, but you know, I'm cool. I'll pick you back up, wipe off your knees. No, don't do it again. I know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you're going to have some stress. Right? It's, just part, it's part, of, part of the ticket, you know? Once you punch in the clock, that's part of it. In, in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, we would talk about Elijah. This guy, he, he, he man, this guy was bad. He, he came against the prophets of Baal, and he prayed, and, and God came down with fire and licked up the altar and just, just consumed, and he beat down 400 prophets of Baal, Elijah. And then, and then because of that moment, he was so close to God, immediately after that, he fell into depression. And then a chick came after him. Oh. <laughs> Words from the devil. <laughs> Jezebel. Jezebel came after this dude. He starts, then he runs. Oh, God, he runs. And he's over there crying in the cave. You know, I trip out on that. I go, man, this dude just beat 400 prophets of Baal and one girl made him run? 
That's the kind of power women have on some dudes, amen? <laughs> yeah, lady. Some of you ladies know it, too. You know, you can tell. You, some ladies know the power they have over men. You know, I could tell. You could tell from when they get dressed and when they walk. <laughs> Boy, they don't just walk. They like they sway, right? Because they know every man got a rubber neck like Gumby. <laughs> And they're like, whoa. They're all messed up. Some, some men are too easy. Huh? You're going to go under changes? You're going to go under changes. Right? Young men, you know, especially the poor, you poor young guys, you know, they're not married, they're young, and they're burning. Oh, they can't get nothing out. Even right now, I'm messing with them right now. <laughs> Stress, stressful, right? David he abdicated, he abdicated the throne of his family during the stress. He couldn't handle he couldn't handle the stress factor, so he gave him the throne. He didn't want to deal with it no more. His family was in shambles. Like I said earlier, one son raped his sister. Another son killed a brother. His favorite son tried to take his throne. His firstborn from Bathsheba died at birth. Baron Hook could induce a lot of stress. Peter denied Jesus under great stress. You know, he was acting all bad. I'll follow you anywhere. Jesus. Peter, will you follow you? Take care of my sheep. You know I love you. And he kept questioning three times. He questioned where did you. <laughs> then you run like a girl. <laughs> uh, and I see him, you know, especially in the home. They don't run by themselves. They run two by two. They hold hands. <laughs> What's up with that? Oh, but the local holy home. We're living together. I care too. <laughs> what? Because I'm a little stressed. Oh, the director doesn't say pretty please. And he wasn't nice to me. And wah, wah, wah. <laughs> How are you going to handle stress? Huh? Elijah hit the cave. David in denial. Peter. How are you going to handle it? You're going to have to go through it. So like I said, I can't. I wish I could be there with you, but I can't. You're gonna have to do this all on your own. You gotta make the right choice. You gotta follow the Lord. You gotta trust God. In fact, you gotta trust your leaders. And I'm your leader. Hang in there, man. You're going through it. Great, wonderful. I love it when I see people go through it. I do. I have big smiles. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You know why? Because I can see what you're made out of. Whether there's whether I should waste my time, whether I should invest my time in you or not, will be determined. If you can handle, it. if you can't handle, it, I don't want to invest my time in you. That's where you get that term. That's a waste of time. But when you go through a trial and you stick it out, when you hang in there, when the time gets tough, now I said that girl right there is worth. Hey, Deborah, that, that girl is heavy. She, you know what she went through? Man, that, that's the one you got invested. In. Oh, that guy, he went through all kinds of change, and he's still here. That's the one we want to invest in. Why? Because they've proven themselves. They're, they're, they're able to handle the stress. They're able to handle the sin. They're able to go through what they got to go through. This one, nah, cut them loose. No good. Can't even handle a little, 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 little tiny knick-knack, patty-whack, give a dog a bone kind of a thing. Why? Because we're trying to build an organization. We're trying to build a world-changing organization. Now, I don't want to have some rumpkin church on the corner. And if we're going to have a world-class organization, I need world-class people yeah. that can handle it. Yeah. You got to go through some things. So that'll take you all the way to the, your loyalty challenge. So it's a very difficult thing here. Because success 
is, is, is a key. Because let's just say you did well in those other tests I'm talking about. You did good and you're doing good. You're coming up, you're coming up. All of a sudden you start thinking like, shoot, I'm pretty good, man. Pastor's invested in me. Sister Debbie likes me. Amen. I'm getting my own ministry. I'm doing good. God bless me. I got a new job, new contract. I got money in the bank. Oh, Shandu. My wife's not yelling at me no more. Praise the Lord. Right? <laughs> Everything's going good. All of a sudden, you're a little successful. And sometimes people get to a point where they think, maybe I don't need them no more. Maybe I can be cool. Matter of fact, I don't have to go. I can go, I can go anywhere I want. And you're right. You can go anywhere you want. But when God has a call on you, you can't go anywhere you want. You have to go where God called you. Yes. Amen. And it's my guess that if you're here today, God called you here. Yes. So don't get mad at me. <laughs> get mad at God. Amen. See, this very difficult test of success. See, when you have it, discipline tends to leave when success arrives. So what I'm saying, there are certain disciplines that keep you in line with God. Prayer, devotions, church attendance, your ministry keeps you. And when success, and you're doing good, and also you, you don't need any, anybody, and you, you know what, I th- I'm spending too much time over there, i got to spend more time with me. All of a sudden, your disciplines begin to wane. When success comes, your prayer lacks. Devotion, what's Devotion. Church, why? I, I would go to church, but nah, I'm too busy right now. All of a sudden, your success is your worst enemy. That's a very difficult one because success feels real good, don't it? Feels good. See, it's, when you're successful is when you're most open to the work of the devil. Not when you're down and out. When you're down, when you're, oh, God, you're going through it. And when you're going through it, you're, you're never closer to God because you're like, oh, God, you're, help me, help me, right? Because you're going through it. Trials and everything. But when you're not going through it, I'm good. I got this, God. Me and you, home. You know, I got it. You're cool. You don't need him that much. Hmm? See, we are doing just fine. Let's relax and take it easy. Success, I think, is best described again. It can lull you to sleep. Again. Now, I'm, I'm all for success. I want a church full of successful people. But success doesn't mean you become stupid. Yes. Success should be your key to say, hey, you know what? I need to stay plugged in. Why? Because it was my relationship with God that keeps me successful. If you think it's you doing it, then you're really dumb. <laughs> right? Because it's God. The Bible says only God. With God, there is no sorrow with your prosperity. So if you got all kinds of things and you, and you look good in the, in the bank account, but you're not happy, it's probably because that was your success, not God's success. So the trick is you need to take your success and offer it to God so that he could bring no sorrow to your life. Amen? See, King David's success caused him to stay at his palace when he should have been in battle. And because he was at the palace... He's seen Bathsheba. When success comes, many will find out if their relationship with God is solid. Success could be the trap the devil uses to snare you. So what I'm going to talk about, because we're talking about issues of the heart. And I'm, I'm coming in for landing. See, these things that you go through are there just for one reason, to reveal to you 
what type of heart you have. God knows what type of heart you have. He wants you to know. Why does he want you to know? Because he also gives you the tools to correct it. He gives you the insight to, to steer from problems. So he's trying to reveal to you what type of heart you have. See, when you pass the sin test, it reveals that you have a repentant heart. Right? In ministry, family, and our thoughts, you're repentant. You may have made a mistake, but God wants to reveal to you, look, you made a mistake. This is who you are. Without me, this is who you are. And you realize it and you repent. So it shows that you have a repentant heart because you're going to make mistakes. Okay, let me say two of you believe it. The rest of you are in delusion. You're going to make mistakes. And if the quicker you learn how to repent and stop, the better off you are. So that sin test will reveal to you if you have a repentant heart. If you make a mistake and blame everybody else, because if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have did it. You don't have a repentant heart. Because that's what most people do. I've had, you know, guys, pastor is my wife. And she gets me that way. And then, you know, I go, oh, your wife. I didn't know your wife was your Lord and Savior. Because if she controls you that much, she must be master. That's why I'm, I, people don't like, they don't like me to marriage counsel them. Who do I send them to? Send them to Sam. Huh? No, my friend, we're all responsible for our own actions. Nobody can tell you what to do unless you're a puppet. Now, if you're a puppet... Get mad. I'm wife. Get mad. I, why? Because I control you. I'm your puppet. Pull my string. I'll do anything. I'm your puppet. All right? Snap your finger and I'll come to you. I'm your puppet. Right? We're all responsible for ourselves. Unless we're puppets. Ain't no puppets in the house, right? Okay. So don't blame. See, when you're a repentant heart, you say, God, I blew it. I messed up. I need help. God, without you, I can't control my emotions. I need help. I repent. It's my fault. Nobody's fault. Not my kids, not my dogs, not my wife. It's me. Yeah. Now you have a repentive heart. Yeah. If you blame somebody, oh, anybody can do that. Huh? See, repentance closes the gap of guilt and isolation. The service, when you come and you get involved and you're serving, it, it reveals to you that you have a diligent heart because it's difficult to serve people. Yeah. You know, you're willing to stick it out, right? Rebuke after rebuke. Hallelujah. You're determined to stay. See, during times of service, you're going to feel underappreciated. You're going to feel like, well, they don't even appreciate what I do. And you may feel that. Just in case I never tell you, pat you in the back, because I'm not really a good patter on the backer. But for now, I'm going to cover everybody. Hey, pat, pat, pat. You got your pat, all right? So don't get mad. I don't pat you on your back. You're going to feel that way. But when you push through it, it shows that you have a diligent heart. Why? Because you don't need that. You're not doing it for a pat on the back. You're not doing it for anything. You're doing it because God called you and you love the Lord. You're not doing it because the people are treating you good or bad. Hey, people have burnt me, robbed from me, stole from me. And, I, and they come back to church, and guess what? I still hug them. Because I didn't do it for them. I was doing it for the Lord. A diligent heart. See, loyalty is your way of life. In spite of being misunderstood, your diligent heart keeps you serving. When you go through stress, it'll show that you have a dependent heart. 
Because when you're under that thing, you're, you're stressed, you have to depend upon God. You have to. I can't take it no more. God, I need you. You're dependent on God. So King David's failure increased his stress, and then he cried out to God. He made a mistake, but he cried out to God because he realized it's God. He wouldn't even say, God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I blew it. I'm sorry, God. He repented, and he goes, I need you. I can't live without you. He realized what he did, and he changed his way. That's why God said, this man will do anything I ask. Why? Because he learned his lesson. He learned. Success reveals a humble heart. If you're very successful, let's say you're making bank, you're rolling in the do re mi, but you're real humble about it. You're, you're cool about it. You, you, you do your disciplines. You pay your tithe. You're involved United with Cam. You're sharing your success. Why? Because you're a humble guy. See, all these things are meant to reveal your heart to you. And perhaps you're failing in one area, two, maybe all of them. I don't know. Nonetheless, it's not here to make you feel bad. It's so that you sh- see who you are, so that you can be better. Hmm? See, God longs to bless you. He wants to bless the, the humble heart, the contrite heart. The Bible says in no way will he cast them out. As we close, when life's tests take you to the brink of your sanity, a dependent heart cries out to God. Amen? See, we all must take these tests, pass or fail, possibly retested in the same areas. But you're going to have to take them. Why? Because God wants the best for you. God really wants to bless you. And the only reason he can't bless you is because you don't let him. You don't let him based on the answers to your test. I want every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The Holy Spirit moving and ministering on your life. I am confident in a message like this. God is digging deep into your heart. So I pray that those who the Holy Spirit is pricking your heart, that you would respond to this altar call, that I would pray for you. One of these areas, two of these areas, three of these areas, or maybe all of these areas that you need prayer in. We're going to get right to the action here. We're going to pray that God help you in your time and in your area of need. And I'm going to pray the Holy Spirit strengthens your strong points so that you can be better in those areas. If that's you, as we sing this song, the altars are open.